Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we'll look at verse... I'll tell you what, let's read verse 12 also that we dealt with Wednesday. Uh, it says, For, which, as I've told you, is an explanatory word. But he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in uh, the evil day and having done all to stand. Father, we approach your word today with great reverence and respect. Lord, we ask that uh, the Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher, unveil and reveal the things that people need to hear and understand today. Bring that understanding. Bring that divine illumination. For Holy Spirit, we can't grow without it. We can only put on and manufacture a, uh, a form of godliness without you. So Father, we abandon right now the creeds and the doctrines of men and give ourselves to that precious Holy Spirit whom you've sent to make clear and make, make abundantly clear the meaning of your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So here, first of all, anybody want some notes? Or you want to just get them after? Alright, one of you young ladies or... Well, there's a young man. White-headed, but we're calling you young, brother. Wherefore is a... This word is interesting. It's diatauto. And this word means... Basically, because of these very things that has just been mentioned, this is the reason, this is the purpose uh, on account of this very exact thing that you are in spiritual warfare. We do not wrestle. And uh, Wednesday night we talked about what that word was, uh, uh, palo, which means to vibrate, but it's, it's really talking about a, an actual wrestling match. And he said, we are in one. Now, it's abundantly clear that a lot of Christians who waged that battle in that wrestling match lost because they did not put the armor on, or at least all of it. And so he says, wherefore, because of this very same thing, take unto you the whole armor of God. And the word take unto is analabano. Now, the Greek word ana means to do it again and do it again. And do it again. And lambano means basically to seize, to grasp, to get a hold of. And actually, it's got a picture of pulling it down for use. So when you put these two words together, ana lambano, you're talking about what to do. It gives you a picture to keep on doing it like you've done before. And I told you that when we got to verse 10 in Ephesians 6, that it was a word, it was very, very interesting. Uh, a lot of men translate that to say, okay, we've saved the least the last till best, or the best till last, rather. And because we've done that, we, we, you know, we've missed what God was really trying to say here. Now, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. All of you should have read it by now, along with Colossians and the other required reading for the course. You must understand that Paul did not write this book, these six chapters, uh, for giggles. He wrote it for a reason. 
It's like I tell my wife when she fails to answer her phone. She says, honey, you know, I don't call you to chit-chat. I want something if I call. Didn't I just tell you that yesterday? I enjoyed it too, Max. <laughs> but he said, you put this on, this whole armor on, just like you've done before. So that gives us a key. He's turning from the body at Ephesus and looking to the leadership. I mean, there were some great men of God that passed through that church. Some say that uh, that church was probably 100,000 plus. And so there were some great men of God. In fact, John the Revelator retired there and, and uh, died you know, as he was a member there. So he's turning to the leaders and, and reminding them these things. So he says, you put on the whole armor of God. Not only this, but it helps us to understand why we should put this on. Not just for self-preservation, because these leaders were told by the apostle to go and put this on so that you could help these people that didn't have it on. You know, the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens. Then, you know, Galatians... Six it says, "Bear you, bear you one another's burden, or, or, or bear the burden that someone's been overtaken in." And then, then on down in verse five, it says, "For every man shall bear his own burden." You say, "Well, that's kind of a dichotomy there." No, it's not. Those are two different words. To, you know, when you bear somebody's burden for them, it's the Greek word baros. I, when I say that word, I get pictures in my head when I say these words because of the Greek language and Hebrew. It's so pictorial. But I, I got a picture in my mind when I read that word baros and found out what it was. It's a heavy, heavy burden. But I remember, I rem, it reminds me of a wheelbarrow. It's, it's, it's a load bearer that's got a wheel. That makes all kind of sense. Uh, for your benefit, I've mentioned this a few times here, but it, was, it caught me so off guard. My brother came and visited with us, and we were talking about the Indian population here, you know, American Native Indian. And he said, Jerry, did you ever realize that when we came to America, they had never even invented the wheel yet? I said, no. So when somebody invented that wheelbarrow, that was a good deal. Because there's no longer dragging stuff around on two sticks. So that word baros means to bear a burden that someone cannot bear. That's our job. As leaders and, and as matured people in the kingdom of God, that's our job. Not to just point our long finger at somebody and say, well, when you get what you need, you'll be able to fight. No, you fight for them, bless God. You get in your prayer closet and get on your knees before Him and you carry somebody's burden for them. And then down in verse 5, it's, it's the Greek word fortion, which basically means a responsibility. You know, I can't live your life for you. I can help you along the way. But you have a responsibility to live your own life before God, to grow and mature, putting on the whole armor of God. So that's the kind of the message that Paul is relating to the church at Ephesus here. He said, wherefore, take unto you uh, analambano, like you've always done. You keep putting that on. And notice the thing he said was, he said, uh, the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Pick it up, put it on again. 
something very interesting happened to the church at Ephesus. I mean, Ephesus was a, was a thriving, growing, mega, we would call it a mega church today. But things, and Timothy was the pastor. And so that will give you a little bit of insight if you read verse, you know, uh, 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy. It was two different periods of time. 1 Timothy uh, was dealing with problems from the outside of the church. 2 Timothy was dealing with problems from inside the church. People were abandoning him. People were giving up. I mean, think about it. If, if the moratorium came through Woodward County that you could no longer meet in church on Sunday and you would be persecuted, you would be prosecuted, you would be kept, you know, in prison for going to church, I mean, you'd say, I need to get it, go to another county. See, it's the same kind of a concept there. And he's telling these people at Ephesus, he said, you need to put this stuff on. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, in, uh, in Roman times, and back uh, when, when these things were written, I'm sure Paul knew full well all about a Roman soldier and knew how they conducted their affairs. But they would come off the field and ask the general, can we take our armor off? As we told you, you know, some of it weighed 250, 300 pounds. The average weight was about 125. Sometimes the breastplate itself weighed over 100 pounds. And they'd come back to camp and they'd say, you know, just let us take it off. He says, okay, go ahead and take it off, at least some of it, because the enemy's at least five days away. And more times than not, look in history, more times than not, the enemy would be staged in a place where they would come in and while they were drunk, while they were lethargic, while they were sleeping, while they were doing any other thing other than wearing their armor, they would come in and defeat them right there on the spot. And that's the thing that's happening in the church today is that people are not putting on the whole armor. I mean, there's, he, he says take, a, take the whole armor of God, not part of it. Now, I don't mean this to offend, but bless God if it does, well and good. But there's whole denominations, the only piece of armor they have is the helmet of salvation. They don't have any protection for their righteousness, which is the breastplate of righteousness. They don't have much of a, 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 a need for the, for the loin belt of truth because all of the other armor except the, except the, uh, the, the helmet attached to it. There's people that, you know, there's people out there that will just take the, the, the sword. And, and I, you know, we're, this brother and I and sister, and all three of these went to Ramah. Uh, we are a product of the word of faith movement. The sword of the spirit, you know, the word of God. And, and you know, thank God for that. But, but you need more than just the sword. You need more than just the, the shield of faith. We're going to deal with each one of these in the next uh, several weeks, but... But I want, to, I want you to understand it's important to carry all of it with you. To not allow any of it to be removed. See, if, you don't, if you don't wear the helmet of salvation like I talked about Wednesday night, uh, you're going to be confused. You're going to say, well, I must not be saved. I mean, that's the thing that the devil wants you to think. See, He can do anything. He can throw any kind of a, of a dart at your mind 
and you will receive it. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Where? What church? Ephesus. Look what he said. Look what he says about the church at Ephesus. This is Jesus now. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and found them liars. Well, that's commendable. Some people don't even know that. When I pastored in the state of Florida, I'll guarantee you, see, over an eight-year period, we had over 600 people come through the church. It seemed like every flake that was in the state of Florida visited our church at least twice. And I'm telling you, you could spot them. So it's good, you know, spotting people. But notice this. He says, and has borne and has, patient, has had patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. I mean, that's commendable. You remember when we were talking about the, what the word faint was? To give in to the bad realm. Down there in the Galatians 6 chapter, almost the end of the chapter there. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Well, let me tell you something. That is modern day Christianity today. You say, well, what's first love? Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I first met her, that's all I could think about. You know? It's like when I, when I married Lorraine and uh, Norman the other day. We, we played that song, uh, When a Man Loves a Woman, Can't Keep His Mind on Nothing Else. That is an indicator that means that he's interested in thinking about her all the time. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to think about Him and the Word all the time. Live in the Word. Live in the state of prayer. Pray under your breath in, the, in, the, in tongues all the time. It's a form of communication. It, it's a form of worship. It's a form of dialogue that the enemy cannot... That's my, well, my wife reminded me of that the other day. You know, when you pray in the Spirit about what God wants you to do, the devil doesn't know what it is. So it's a lot better than praying, Oh God, please do this. or do, Because the devil can enter in. That's the trouble with uh, fleeces. How many has ever put a fleece out? Let me raise my hand. I've I, I put a fleece out before. I said, this is an actual fleece that I put out. And it worked. God probably did that, just said, well, bless his darling heart and stupid head. I said, Lord, if you want me to do this certain thing, I want the top of my car in the morning to be uh, covered with, with dew and no dew anywhere else. And it happened. But I'm telling you what, that's awful dangerous. Because as soon as you step into that territory and the devil has time enough to look at your ignorant head, oh man, we can mess his life up real good. Because we've heard tell that he's got a great call on his life and here he's petitioning a fleece. So he can make it work out. You know, 
he, he's a shape changer. He's, he, he, can, he can make himself into be an angel of light. He can sound just like Jesus. But if we don't know and have our armor on, and we don't know the voice of the Spirit of God and how He leads us, I'm telling you, He can lead us astray so easily. The word deception has that in it. It's like if Clay and I were going over here to, the, to that door, and I said, come on, Clay, I'm going to take you to the door. But I had an ulterior motive. I'm really wanting to go over here to this side of the room. Then slowly, as I got you by the hand, slowly we would go over there, and you wouldn't even realize it. Just like that piano you said they moved a little bit at a time. Is this making any sense to you? Put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave any of it off. He said, you have left your first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee and quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Well now I don't know how they took this. All I know is there's not a church in Ephesus today. Go figure. Makes you wonder. I mean, those were big. Those were pretty good sized churches. Those seven churches he addresses in the Book of Revelation. I mean, theoretically, shouldn't they still be? Christianity doesn't have a pause button. You know, a church is not built by the Holy Ghost and then said, "Oh well, we're done with that." It should keep on going. See, this church has been going since 1929. Thank God. One year longer than Cleo. I wish you had your hat. Did you, show, did you see his hat? His kids got him. It said, making what? Making the world better since, since 1930. <laughs> That's awesome. Prince of a man. Praise God. So now let's look over here then in Ephesians chapter 4. I know we've already taught several lessons on Ephesians 4. But let's look back, because I want you to understand why Paul was having to write this to this big church. Let's find out what, what they were into. He said, wherefore, putting away lying. That's verse 25, Ephesians 4, 25. So, what does that tell us? They were lying. He said, put it away. You say, yeah, but brother, I didn't just come out and lie I mean, I just didn't tell all the truth. Listen, a lie is a conscious effort to deceive. Whether you are withholding information and, and not telling the whole thing. And I've heard it many times. I used to do it myself and I realized it affects my finances. I used to do it a lot. I used to say, well, you know, it's just a little white one. There's no such thing. They're all black. They'll all steal from you. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Think about that. We need to see people that they are spirits and not just flesh. He said, uh, Be ye angry and sin not. In the Greek text, that's a question. Remember me teaching on that? That's a question. Are you angry? Everybody's going to be. 
It says, don't sin. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to cuss when you're angry. It's a sin to do something, you know, about that and, and let that manifest as far as your relationship. You know, Jesus is far more interested in how your relationships are than anything else in the world. How we treat people, especially each other in the body of Christ, is, is supreme importance to Him. And I'm telling you, these are some of the issues that why we don't have power of God flowing through our services and through the body of Christ at large. He says, uh, neither give place to the devil. Well, they were doing that. Notice this, let him that stole steal no more. So they were stealing. One of my cousins one time, in fact, he ended up stealing a whole bunch of money. Uh, swindled a lot of us. He, he quoted this verse different. He said, Let him that stole steal. No more working with his hands to that <sighs> That he may have good have to give to him that needs it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So he says, let all of this corrupt communication, don't let it proceed from you. You say, well, what is that? Let me tell you something. These people were not going around cussing at each other in the church of Ephesus. So it's not really talking about cussing. Y'all know what I mean when I say cussing, don't you? Cursing. It's just the way they say it back home. That's not what it's talking about. Evil community. Now, no, notice this. How many's ever heard tell of a church split? Has this church ever split? Has it? It's because of evil speaking. That's what happens to it, see. People get to thinking. Let me just pick on myself here for a minute. People may come in, you know what? There's just something wrong with that guy. You reckon he's out having an affair on Teru? Somebody says that to me. I just said, will you look at her? <laughs> I mean, my God. Her brother-in-law, which is my brother-in-law now, married us. We were all in line, the men. You know how the procession is fixing to come into the sanctuary. And Ricky came up to me and said, would you just look at her? <laughs> I said, I know, I know. He's easy on the eyes. But he said, let all that be put away. The evil speaking. Don't look for a blame for somebody else, see. Realize that the things that... Notice this. Jesus said, we will give an account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. I'm not talking about talking about football. That's not... I mean, that's ridiculous talk, but it's not what he's talking about. I mean, I like football to a degree, but some people are just stupid with it, aren't they? My daddy had two uh, boxed seats at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he had about 17 people that he bought other seats for every year 
They would pay him, you know, he would just order them. And, and that, that was a big deal. I mean, on game day, you went down to a place in Knoxville that was called Litton's. Litton's was a hamburger place, and I mean, there's never been a hamburger place. like A Litton burger is that big. I mean, it was awesome. So it was a big deal, see. And as much as they talked about it, I remember thinking, I remember sitting down in one of the, one of the regular seats because I didn't ever get to sit in the box. Uh, I remember thinking, you know, all they've talked about all day is this football game. Tennessee got stomped like a bug yesterday. I've got a... I have a Tennessee hat that I wear, a big T on there. And said, are you from Tennessee? I said, well, I don't always wear a losing team hat, but when I do, it is Tennessee. <laughs> so that's not the, what he's talking about, the corrupt communication. It, you see, th- this church was second generation Christian. I mean, great men of God came through there. Verse 31 says... Uh, uh, Vain or evil speaking. That means to converse wickedly. You ever looked at the word wicked in the Bible? Who means ever looked at it and, and did a exegete that word? That word basically means to twist. Just like wicker furniture. Wicked. Twisted. Wickedness is not, you know, dressing up in a you know a bad hat and a broomstick and all that kind of you know, wickedness is twist the twisting of the word. Twisting of the gospel. There's demon spirits assigned to do that. They're called seducing spirits. They twist the word of God to get you to believe something other than what the Holy Ghost intended about it. That's why it's important to pray in tongues for a long time uh, before and during your study and reading of the word of God. So that you will, you know, praying in tongues will uh, inoculate you against deception. But now verse 30 is interesting here. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Notice that. It, it, it is lupete, which means it, it's the connotation somebody that, that, uh, that has their, the emotions that, ha, that a man experiences or a woman when they cut, catch their spouse t- cheating on them. That's what this grieve is all about. And he's telling them, and by way of uh, our Bible, he's telling us, don't grieve him. You say, how am I going to I'm not running around on God. My allegiance is to God. Well, let me tell you what an idol is. An idol is a value system in which you place more of your uh, attention on that than you do on God. A value system. You're valuing things. I was in there meditating the other day, one day this week. I may have mentioned it Wednesday. If I did, just keep quiet. But I was meditating because, uh, you know, there's some problems going on. Yeah, I did. I talked about it Wednesday. I remember now. But I asked the Lord about homosexuality. And I guess I was in a, in a place with him where he could just speak right, direct to me about it. Because I love people. In fact, you want to know the truth about it? All of the male homosexuals I've ever been acquainted with uh, have been the nicest people and, and are fun to be around. They're so quick-witted. And I mean, I, I enjoyed being around them. It didn't mean I wanted to kiss them. 
you know, or anything like that. But the Lord said, he quoted this scripture to me, which is right in there. He said, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? You see, homosexuality is the epitome, the epitome of idolatry. It's the worship of man. And my heart really goes out for them. I, I wish they would come here. We would love on them. I'm telling you, we would treat them with respect. Never, But I want people free. I don't want them petted. I want them free. I don't want them to be taught how to manage their, you know, bowling ball pins. I, I want them to walk free from them. And they, they can. If we put the armor of God on, we can cast the devil out when he shows up. So, as I said a while ago, I'm not going to go over that again, but as that Roman army took off their, their armor, got into laziness, they were overthrown. Let me tell you something. Self-preservation is the strongest motivation factor that there is. Self-preservation. This is the reason why we don't have a move of the Holy Ghost at Cross Point or the other churches around the area either. It's because we're not putting this armor on. We're not taking a stand against the wiles of the devil. We want to fight things with the flesh. We want to join a protest. Supakiasatai. It's just like when I first met Teru, her stepmother had been diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's. And they were, in fact, I, I went on it with them. They did a walk for Alzheimer's. I know, but still, she said to raise money. We need to fight with this armor. You see, everything's not a defensive weapon in that armor group. It, it is offensive, bless God. Go after it. Amen? So, he says that you may be able... Here, here is the whole armor thing. You put the whole thing on there. Uh, that you may be able... That's the purpose clause in the Greek language. The purpose. What, what is the purpose? Know this. You will face the enemy. All four of these categories. Principalities, powers... All, you will face them all. So you better be ready. If you're not ready, here's what will happen. You'll have some jerk preacher come up and say, well, now brother or sister, don't you know that God permits things to happen to us so that we can learn to identify with people or, or so that you can be stronger because what if it, if it doesn't kill you? To make, that's stupid stuff. That kind of thinking will kill you. Shabbatiah. My son had great compassion for you guys when he was here. And he, he said, Dad, he said, what are you doing with those old people? 
Are you helping them, he said? Which he was genuinely concerned. I said, I'll tell you one thing. They're not bullied around by the devil anymore. He said, well, that's great. You are stronger than the devil. Remember I said the, and a few teachings ago, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Well, that means that the devil's armor is carnal, is not mighty, is weak, and we win glory to God. If we just stand on His Word, believe what He said, we win. Glory to God. There's so much I could say in this message today. Uh, let's, let's try looking at... Uh, this, this, this withstand here, anti-stani. Uh, this, this is really talking about someone walking up to someone and just pushing them. Just walking up and pushing them away. That, that is the picture of this anti-stani. It means to stand against, to, to oppose someone. To stand against... To stand up to. When I was in high school, there was a bully named Melvin Suttles. I mean, he was meaner than... He didn't have, a, he didn't have to have a reason to smack you. He just did it because he could. So I hid. I mean, I was about this big around when I was in high school. You wouldn't know it now, but... And so I hid from him. I, when I get out in the hallways, I'd look and I'd go meet my girlfriend in one of the little caveats before you go into the classroom. We'd kiss for a while. And, you know, I'd do that from class to class. But I'd hide from Melvin. He was a, bu he was a bully. So I want, one day, another guy started picking on me. And he didn't look nearly as mean as Melvin. I wouldn't have done this to Melvin. But he made an obscene gesture to me and all. And so I just turned right around and stood up to him. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. And you know, that boy never bothered me again. And you know, if we'll go ahead and step out in faith and believe who we are in Christ, he doesn't know that you don't believe it. <laughs> you need to pretend that you are mighty through God. And when you stand up to him, he'll flee. Glory to God. He'll bring all kinds of stuff to your memory about things you've done that you're not worthy. Don't pay any attention to that. You, you have a present, tent, a present tense snapshot. God has you on His refrigerator. It's one of power. <laughs> He's proud of you. Just like I've got them, Daru's got them on our refrigerator, and we walk by and we look at those babies and we just gleam. We're proud of it. God is proud of us. I don't know if that's real theologically correct, but... It works for me. So look at Galatians 2.11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated, fearing them which were of the circumcision. See there? Fear of the Jews. They saw what they did to Jesus. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But, he said, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the, the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, I'm telling you, he called him on the carpet. I mean, P Peter could have popped off. Peter was the oldest of the disciples, from what I understand. 
And he was kind of the ringleader. He's the one that talked them into backsliding and going out fishing again for franchise. They're in John 20, 21. So he was kind of the ringleader. So he could have said to Paul, well, you know, I actually walked with Jesus. You just seen him in a vision. But I walked with him. Isn't it interesting that Paul said later on, just look this up. We no longer know Jesus after the flesh, but the Spirit. <laughs> That's what we need to know about each one of us. Know, know each other by your spirit, not by your flesh. Your flesh is going to rot away. Your flesh is not going to go to heaven. I don't care how good you treat it. If you treat it bad, you might go early. But your flesh ain't going. Amen? But he said, I stood up, he said, I, before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live? To live? So he said, I withstood him. I withstood him to the face. It's this anti-Stanai. Now let me tell you something. I believe in the love walk. I believe it is the most important walk on earth as far as God using us. As, as far as our life flowing the way it needs to flow, we need to walk in love. I, I believe that with all my heart. But there comes a time when you're going to have to anti-stainize somebody. You're going to have to get in their face, eyeball to eyeball, and say, I'm calling you out right now on that. That's not God. Instead of walking in love, well, you know, there's many ways to God. Give me a break. like Brother Norville used to say. That's dumb, that's dumb before daylight. But now then, in Acts 13, and verse 8, it says, uh, But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them. Them is the apostles. He anti-stanai them. Seeking to turn away the deputy, he was real upset because his way of living was going to be uh, drastically reduced if he gets the devil cast out of him. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Now notice this. Can you just see this? This is all by the Spirit. This is not something he's trying to just show. He, he, he fastened his eyes. That means to look intently. If you'll walk in the Spirit, you can see down into spirit people's spirits. Down into their soul. You can see right down in there and see what the cause is. And this is what this connotation has. And said, all full of subtlety and mischief, child of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? The Greek inverts that and says, you will cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeing, seeking some to lead him by the hand. So you see, this, the message of love is not allowing that to keep on going. It's to stop it. That's real love. So here again in, uh, in Ephesians. He says that you may be able to withstand. That means to, to stand up to Him. Push Him away. Get, get Him away from you. Call Him on the carpet, so to speak. And having done all. 
So he says, you may, you may withstand in the evil day. When is that? Some expositors like to say that that's talking about the tribulation period. It's not. It's talking about today. Whatever, whatever day the evil visits you, that is the day you're going to stand up against it. Jesus Christ said, uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So we don't have to go hunting it. It will hunt you. And when it comes to your doorstep, bless God, you say, get out. Sandy, those videos I sent you of Lester, did you watch them? Powerful, aren't they? I'd like to take a service and just show those here. I mean, uh, talking about ghosts and haunted houses. I mean, it, 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 was, it was awesome. And he, he showed, that was a warrior for God. It, it's just amazing. Maybe, we, would you all mind us doing that? Maybe not on Sunday, because there might be a visitor come. So, you know, they just showed some weird video. But, but on a Wednesday, why don't we just do that? Just show that. If we could pull it up on the, the YouTube. So Paul overcame them so that they would stand in the evil day. And notice this. And, I, and I'm not going to get to the rest of this message today. But, but I want you to understand this. He said, having done all to stand. I want you to put a period at the end of that. There is one. But I want you to make sure that you understand. Because, because these two were linked together and were not separated. Uh, people have got the wrong idea about this. They said, uh, well, that's not the one. Anyway, he said that he put on, put on this armor so that you'll be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What this would be better translated is this. Having brought everything to an ultimate state of victory, you stand there. And this is a picture of what happens in hand-to-hand -hand combat, when you run out there into the enemy's territory and you engage someone that's trying to kill you, you come against him, you withstand him, you use your sword, you use the lance of intercession, you use whatever it takes, and you withstand him, and then when you knock him down, you take the sword and cut his head off, and then what happens is the victor always stood on top of the, of the, the deceased. This is what David did, little 17-year-old David. He didn't have a sword in his hand. This is 1 Samuel 17. It'd be good to read that. He didn't have a sword in his hand, but he got Goliath's sword and cut his head off and then got on top of him and stood. That's having done all to stand. It's not like we have uh, those... I've got to be nice here. It's not that we should look at it the way a lot of people do and say, well, brother, you know what that next verse says. Having done all to stand, just stand. You can just see them shaking. Just stand there. Just, you know. That's defeatism. That's an attitude that we don't need to have. We have the victory in Christ. He defeated the devil. It's not something that we're trying to do. It's something we're enforcing that's already been done. He is defeated. And we can stand in that evil day. Because we are victorious. Amen? Now I want to give you a little assignment. Because I can't get to the rest of this message. I want you to, if you have a pen or something to write down, I'll give you these scriptures. Because there's a lot of people that are... You know, in Isaiah 51 and verse 2, it's, it tells us there to look unto Abraham. 
Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye not therefore they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 9. This is talking about Abraham. God given him what he was going to do, what he was going to make him. He said, I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that, that curse thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken him, and Lot went with him. Now God told Abraham to leave his family, to leave everybody behind and go. What did he do? He took all the whole bunch with him. Took the whole bunch with him. And then, now get this, he had to wait till his family died before he could go. <laughs> Talk about missing God. And then down in Genesis 12, you can just go, I mean, Genesis 12, 10 through 14, uh, actually through 20. Abraham told Pharaoh, uh, that she was his sister. You know what? Well, let's let's uh, before I say that, let's, Genesis fifteen. He believed in the Lord, he, and it was accounted to righteousness. Verses five and six. Genesis sixteen one. Sarai bore Abraham no children; she was barren. God had told him he was going to be the father of many nations, multitudes. As the stars of the sky. I mean, think about that. Abram had not had his name changed yet. Abram was a moon worshiper. But when you have God speak to you like that, tell you this great vision, he did what a lot of us would do. Well, you know, that must mean this. My wife can't have kids, so she conveniently said, you know what? I've heard, you know, you tell, talk about what God said. Uh, just go into my handmaiden. And Ray, and he probably stood there and said, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I think he would have argued with that. But you know what happened because of that, don't you? All of our enemies around the earth right now came from that mistake. And you can go on. I mean, there, there's more of what he's done. Uh, Genesis 18. Him, him and Sarah both laughed at what God said. Both of them. Not one of these things of all that Abraham did. I mean, study up on his life. All these things that he did is not listed once in the New Testament. Isn't that something? All that the New Testament said about Abraham, which you can read a bunch about it, Galatians and all that, Romans 4, not once can you find that in the Old Testament. So what I'm saying to you is, don't let the devil beat on you about your mistakes. You are a new creature in Christ. When you mess up, bless God, confess it, and it's gone. It's never to be remembered again. God is not going to call up your past. Only the devil will. And, and God knows I've got some that I want to forget. But, but don't let the devil bring it up. Remind him of his past and his future. Amen? Did y'all get anything out of this today? Amen.
Let's see, it's 20 minutes till 12. Did we ever get on the camera? Good, because I want to do something here. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. This came up in my spirit in the first part of the message. and So, uh, the other... Well, Friday night... By the way, we're still having Friday night prayer from 6 to 8 if anybody wants to come. So, turn with me over there to Galatians chapter 6. Brethren... If any man be overtaken in a fault. Now that word fault, as I've taught you this before, but to reiterate, is the Greek word paraptoma. That's an unintentional side slip. Basically something that's happened to you that you really didn't uh, set out to do or become. And apparently he's saying this to the church at Galatia because there's some people that's overcome or overtaken in these kinds of faults, and they need assistance. But notice what he says here. This goes along with this message, because it's, it definitely has to uh, do with the armor of God. He says then here, ye which are spiritual. If you have one of those Bibles like I have here, you can touch that little word, and this word pneumaticos will come up. And I've told you this before. This word is, is spiritual, it was not used until after the, the day of Pentecost. That's when mankind became pneumaticos. That means to be infilled with the Spirit or, or operate your life from a spiritual standpoint. Pneumaticos. Now, I want to I put you on the spot here today. And th- there's, this is not a right and wrong answer. So, so just, just give me your gut answer. Which one of you today feel like you are pneumaticos? Huh? Spiritual? You do? Okay. Good, good, good. He says, you which are pneumaticos, restore that person in the spirit of meekness. Now that word restore, remember? It's a medical term means to reset a dislocated joint. You can't do that by yourself. You have to have help. That's why he used that word. If that person could help themselves, they'd just send him a, you know, a self-help book. You know, if self-help books worked, they would go out of business. So, what do you gather from this statement so far? You which are spiritual, pneumaticos, spirit-filled, you have some semblance of spirituality. You're trying to walk with the Lord. You're trying to you know, build yourself up on a daily basis and that kind of thing. You are the ones that are to restore in the spirit of meekness. Because if you don't do it in the spirit of meekness, you're going to get into judging and it's going to hurt the person. Restore such in one spirit of meekness, uh, seeing that you not be tempted. Now, Uh, I'm going to turn my recording off because I don't really want this to be recorded.